Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, so grab uh, your notes or your Bible or your journal. We're going to dive right in this morning. We're going to bring our series to a close. We have been in a series over the last uh, five weeks, this being the sixth week, and we've been talking about the power of words, and we've been using words like this, please, sorry, and thanks. And here's what we're learning, basically. We're just reminding ourselves, you know, I was thinking about this because this is stuff really that uh, I think maybe our parents did better than us, maybe their parents did uh, better than them. This idea of being reminded that words are powerful. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. And so we've been looking at words, but in a very specific sort of framework, we've been uh, talking about, first of all, what we call our uh, psychology of the word please, and how that uh, God uses that to welcome into relationships this even space where we are not powering up on another human being, but we're beginning all relationships in this even space. We spent two very powerful weeks on, on what we call the science of sorry. Uh, Pastor Trevor uh, offered a great message around the idea of empathy and one of the hallmark values Uh, if you will, of the Christian experience is learning to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, yes, but even better and more powerful to weep with those who weep. And then Jessica did an awesome job just really talking to us about the science of apology and how it is that we need to hear that in our souls. And when we do that, there's almost something that breaks the barrier of, uh, you know, the things that uh, form a hindrance in human dynamics and in human relationships. So this is what we've been talking about and we've spending, we're spending the last two weeks, if you've been following along with us on what we're calling, frankly, just the theology of thanks. And there is a theology behind that and we looked at last week this idea of gratitude and the importance of gratitude and how important that is specifically in worship. Uh, the idea of gratitude is the baseline value of where all Christian worship uh, begins. It's, it's not self-reliance or self-sufficiency. It's the next level up. I was thinking about this when um, I, I've shared before, I'm the middle of three sons. And so I, um, I just have compassion for moms that have a lot of boys, because I just remember what we put our mother through. And uh, every now and again, still today, I will call my mom, and when she answers the phone, I'll just say, hey, mom, it's Dale, I'm sorry. (laughs) And she'll be like, what what are you sorry for? Um, And I'm just, you know what, use it wherever you need to use it. Just like move it, you know, into that space. And I remember when we were growing up one time, my dad came home and he announced to our family, he said, I have joined the Elks Club. And we were like, ooh, how many of y'all remember Fred Flintstone and like remember the Grand Poobah, you know, kind of thing? And he had joined the Elks Club and I thought, and, and what, he, what, he, what he did in doing that, he joined the Elks, Elks Club because he had learned from another friend who had boys that um, they had just built this brand new pool there. 
and it was summer and it was a three, you know, three boys were bringing all our friends over to the house and my mom needed a break. We thought he was doing it for us and he was doing it for my mother. And my mother would load all of us boys up in her Ford Falcon station wagon and she would drop us all off at the pool and she'd go, I'll come back and get you at five o'clock. I don't know why I did that. My mom never smoked a day in her life. But I just wanted to just, you know, help you understand the story. And this is the idea. And that's not what gratitude is. Like that's kind of a self-sufficiency. Gratitude, spiritual gratitude is the next level up, which is embodied in a verse of scripture like this in Psalm chapter 116, verse 10, that's going to show up any second. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? So spiritual gratitude is sort of the foundational value of what it means really to worship God. Um, here's the thing. You, you get connected with the most um, formed person you know in terms of the Christian experience. Uh, someone whose very life drips holiness and love for God and love for other people, here's, here's what's behind that. You will see in that person uh, incredible gratitude. You'll, you'll, the holiest person you'll ever know is the most uh, grateful person you will ever know. And uh, so if you've been with us, we, we looked last week at that experience because I want everybody to know that. And in fact, when we're worshiping together and you're in this space and we're, you know, we kind of make it easy because the music is phenomenal and God is doing a great thing. But, you know, when we express gratitude to God, here's the thing. God begins to build in your life this value that they can be pushed into some other spaces to move darkness around. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So this is sort of really an important value and a thing to think about because I love how Abraham Kuyper, who was uh, the former prime minister for the Netherlands, he says this, there isn't a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine because everything is from God and everything is for God. And this is the idea behind what we're learning about right now. And so last week, if you were with us, we learned how actually to grow in gratitude. And we think that the Apostle Paul taught us how to do that. And it was in the 12th verse of chapter 12 in the book of Romans, which is simply this, that we learn to become joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And so this morning, what I want to do is we're going to, uh, in just a moment, we're going to move the, um, the, our, our learning and our understanding over into one more important passage of Scripture. But we've been studying, if you will, a, a larger portion of Scripture where Paul is linking belief and practice together. And so for the last time, we're going to read this uh, together, and I'm going to invite us to stand. We always stand here at Community of Hope out of honor of God's Word. And we're going to read these verses one more time. I want you to read them with gusto. Uh, Read them like you're at a Dolphins game. Just testing the crowd today. And, uh, And we're going to look at one more passage. So let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's uh, pray real quickly again together. Lord, we're going to ask this morning that you would use uh, this space uh, and specifically, Lord, this conversation right now about the outflowing of what a grateful heart can produce in our lives to shake and dig into the ground of our lives. Lord, all of us are here and we're a series of relationships, both good and bad. Probably some of us are even in spaces, Lord, where we don't know really how to untie the knot that we seem to have created with another human being. But God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, as you hover around your word, and as we make application of your word, so that this, as your brother Jesus told us, where we wouldn't be just hearers of your word, but that we might become doers of your word. We might find within it your blessing, for we pray together in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I have a pastor that I know uh, who reminds us around this subject that we're talking about, that all of our life really is a series of connecting the gifts of our lives to the giver of those gifts and the pains of our life to the suffering servant, who is Jesus. And so all of us are in places this morning where this is a word that we, you know, that we need to hear, we, we need to apply into our lives. And I was thinking about this in particular because there's a passage of scripture that I want us to focus on this morning that may be the hardest one yet, and it's verses 13 and 14 in the text we've been reading now for the last six weeks. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Isn't that interesting that Paul would say that? Practice hospitality, become the kinds of people who bless those who persecute you, that you bless those people and you don't curse those people. I was thinking about the power of these words. I remember um, there is is a, a documentary right now on Netflix 
which is a, um, an incredible documentary, and it's, um, it's called this. I want to show you the picture of it. It's called The Deepest Breath. And it's a, it's a documentary um, on, on these people who are, are doing what is referred to as free solo diving. And so they're trying to break the world's record on how far uh, people can go down in the water and then come back up and live to tell the story. And, um, and so they are, they are without any special equipment, they are diving over 300 feet and coming back up. I remember a few years ago, I was out with a, a, a precious friend of mine in our church. He's way more seasoned in diving than I am. And we were going to go out. There's a beautiful reef off of the Breakers Hotel. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, go with me. Let's go, let's go dive the reef together. And so I said, sure, let's, let's do that. And so I was, I was um, relearning my skills, can I say. And so he took me first over to the Singer Island Bridge, which is another beautiful place. And I got fitted with all the gear and we jumped in the water. Now, he didn't get in the water with me. I was the one that just got in the water. And uh, so I was dive, diving in there and it wasn't really deep or anything like that. But, you know, I was, um, I was, I was in that experience. He was helping me get reacclimated to what we were going to do. So then we shot out and we went out to the reef. He put his gear on and we dove. Now, the interesting thing about this experience is, remember, I'd already been in the water with my gear. He had not. And we went down to the reef, which was, at a, if I remember right, about 115 feet down. And I would, once we got down there, and it was just absolutely breathtaking and beautiful, and uh, he was in front of me, and uh, I was diving, and all of a sudden, I went to take this real big breath of air, and what did I discover? There was no air. And I had this moment where I thought to myself, quite literally, I thought, I thought of two things. The first thing I thought of was, if I panic, I'm dead, okay? And then I, and then I began to sort of envision, you know, my wife going on without me and probably connecting with somebody younger than me <laughs> with more money than I have. And, and then the other thing I thought of was the last thing before we left his house, his wife said to him, hey, don't kill the pastor, I like him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as, as God would have it, you know, uh, he turned around to check on me and I did this. Like, I, I can't breathe. Probably it looked more like this. And he came and got me, and I'm standing before you today. <laughs> Praise God. But I started thinking about this because, you know, and here's what scientists and those in the medical field tell, tell us. They say that you can live, under the right circumstances, you can live almost two months without food in the right circumstance. You can live um, in the right circumstance between three and seven days without water. And you can live between four and six minutes without air. But the question I want us to consider this morning as we think about what we've been learning is, is this question. How long can the human spirit survive without encouragement? Every single one of us are hardwired 
to receive encouragement. And it is like oxygen uh, to the body to receive that. It's sort of oxygen for the soul. And so this is an important lesson. And Paul is, Paul is telling us that the people who are, uh, who are uh, carry the banner as followers of Jesus would be the kinds of people that seek to bring life-giving and life-sustaining encouragement to other people. This is a value that is almost, here's what I want to tell you all this morning, it's almost absolutely against the prevailing truth of our, uh, truths of our culture today. It's opposite. You and I live in a world um, that is quid pro quo, which means this. It, quid pro quo means something for something else. Uh, increasingly more and more and more and more, we live in a world that is transactional. And we want to know whether it's spoken or unspoken. This is the kind of thing that we want to know. What ultimately in any kind of human exchange, what is in it for me? And that is a value that I want us to understand this morning is contrary to the the baseline value that Paul the Apostle is wanting us to think about and wanting us to invite into our lives. Now, you probably wouldn't know her name, but I want to share a name with you. Her her name is actually um, Elizabeth Silence Ballard. And she wrote a book several years ago, actually in 1974. Uh, She wrote a book entitled Three Letters from Teddy and Other Stories. And it became, it was a fictional story about a young man and an interchange of this young man with a teacher that became so emblematic in a way of the power of encouragement, particularly related to the the, um, discipline of education for teachers, that it became in 1994, it became the Marion Wright Edelman uh, select book for, for the annual report for the Children's Defense Fund. And the story is not a true story, but Elizabeth Silence Ballard wrote later on that the story had great connection to uh, some of her own experiences in life. And so in a way, it became a way for her to share about the power of encouragement from her own experience into the experiences of others. And I thought I would just take just a quick moment to just read some of this story to you. So the story takes place in fifth grade where the teacher, uh, where, where the, where the teacher um, has this experience with this boy by the name of Teddy Stoddard. And she said when she first began to know Teddy, Teddy didn't play well with others. He didn't have friends. He was subject of ridicule. He often came to school messy. He often came to school needing a bath. And he was the source of ridicule among many of the students in the class. And she said she began, the teacher began to notice that um, she began to even take some delight in partnering with the kids in a way to ridicule him. 
And she said one afternoon, she said, because it was part of her assignment, what she actually had to do in, was to uh, write an annual report about each student. And so she thought as part of her requirement to go back and look at all the annual reports of all the students in her class. And she read this report about Teddy. She said, Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is bright child, ready with a ready laugh. He does work neatly, has good manners. He's a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote this, Teddy's an excellent student and well-liked by his classmates, but he's troubled because his mother has a terminal disease and life at home is a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, his mother's death has been hard on Teddy. He tries to do what is best, but his father doesn't show much respect. His home life will soon affect him if steps aren't taken. His fourth grade teacher writes, Teddy's withdrawn, doesn't show much interest in school, and doesn't have many friends, and sometimes even sleeps in class. And then Mrs. Thompson realized the problem wasn't Teddy, it was herself. And she felt worse when her students one day near the end of the school year uh, in the fall brought Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright colored paper. Everyone did that except Teddy. His present was clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper he got from a grocery bag. And Mrs. Thompson took pains to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some of the children began to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing in a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter and explained how pretty the bracelet was as she put it on, dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy left that afternoon after staying late saying, Mrs. Thompson, you smell just like my mom used to smell. And as the children left, she began to cry and thought to herself, I am going to be the source of encouragement for this young man. And she began to pay attention as Teddy, and she worked with Teddy. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. A year later, after he had left her class, she found a note under the door from Teddy that said this, she was the best teacher he ever had in his life. Six years passed, and to her surprise, another note from Teddy came and said that he had finished high school, uh, now third in his class. She was still the best teacher he ever had. And four years later, another letter came saying that while he had been tough at times, he stayed in school, had finished college with the highest honors, and he assured Mrs. Thompson she was still the very best and very favorite teacher he ever had in his whole life. Four more years passed, another letter came. This time he explained that he got his bachelor's degree, he finished his other medical degree, and the letter was signed, Theodore F. Stoddard, MD. This is the power of encouragement. And what I want us to remember is this, when we become people who are willing to bless other people, We make good relationships, great relationships. You know what I almost wanted to say? We're going to make relationships great again. But I thought, maybe I shouldn't say that. There's a doctor in science who did a study on, uh, he and his team studied 40,000 marriages. And this is not, because everybody's not married, but 
but just the idea behind it that he studied 40,000 marriages and he found out that the one word that often made the relationships that they studied uh, put them in the most sustaining space were relationships that, that regularly used the word thanks because here's what it created. It created underneath it this idea that we become people looking for something that we can say thank you for. And this is really embodied, I think, so much in what Solomon said in Proverbs, where he writes in Proverbs this, he says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Now, what, what, what is so important about this as a subject is, is we're talking about something that um, is so simple in a way, but yet, quite honestly, it's so profound because we struggle really to do this and to offer this to other people. I want you to notice what Paul says in the book of Ephesians when he was writing that letter. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come from out of your mouths. Learn to be the kind of people that that offer only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. My sense would be in this room right now, every single one of us has a person in their life when they read that passage of scripture where we say, you know what, if, if only I had offered that or if only they had offered that to me. And so when we become people who bless, that kind of blessing carries with it enormous power to make those relationships better. Now, here's the other part, which I think is really challenging, which is the second one. When we choose to bless, we make bad relationships better relationships. Some of us are here and we're thinking, you know, how do we make this better? How can we um, close the distance that you have with another human being? What can we offer that brings healing and hope within a relationship? And this is the harder truth that we're talking about in this space. Jesus, um, when he said it, offered it this way. He said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, I, I have been reticent to say it, but I want to say it. We're watching a scenario in our world unfold right now where this principle isn't in play. And you can literally create spaces where um, you build years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries of anger and hatred 
And this is going on at a level right now that is destroying our world. If you're like me, which I know you are, you can't even look at the news. It's so painful to watch. And yet, um, the Christian gospel offers, offers a way where we can saw down the edges of our hatred and just do things differently. When we are silent before our accusers and when we don't strike back, we are probably the most like Jesus we will ever be. And so this um, message has tremendous relevance for us uh, in this space. And I think what I want to aim at in this moment is this one principle, and maybe you'll write it down or maybe you'll remember it. Every single interaction with another human being is a spiritual exchange. I have a friend who likes to say it this way. We are, um, we're not human beings having a temporary spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a temporary human experience. That's a good word. And so um, this is really important. I was reading uh, of a, a woman, I want to share her name with you. She's actually a brain scientist. And uh, her name uh, is Dr. Jill Taylor, and she wrote a book entitled Brain Scientist, A Brain Scientist Personal Story. And she wrote a book in, entitled uh, My Stroke of Insight. And she had a massive stroke, and so the stroke affected the left side of her brain, which is this, the part of our brain that helps us register language and words and helps us understand uh, and, and, and commute into our person, you know, what, what, what words actually mean. And that was all scrambled for her. And so it left her, uh, her, her speech and her linear thinking de- devastated. And for months, listen to this, she would lay in recovery and she couldn't understand the words people were saying, but she became minutely and, and, and intimately aware and intensely aware of when people would be around her, whether they were enhancing her, her spirit or they were depleting her spirit. And this is what she says. She says this, I began to experience people as concentrated little packages of energy. And although I couldn't understand the words they spoke, I could read volumes from their facial expressions and their body language. And I began to pay very close attention to the uh, energy dynamics that were affecting me. Some people brought me energy while other people took energy from me. Isn't that fascinating? Now, if, if I was gonna uh, ask us to be really honest, have you ever been in the grocery store and run into a person that you didn't really wanna run into? 
And when you run into them, you feel like, oh, I wish I had gone down the other aisle. Or when you go down another aisle and you run into somebody that you really want to talk to and you feel this lift of energy, this is the kind of thing she's talking about. And it makes me wonder, would this be not exactly what the scriptures teach when we're reminded that life and death are in the power of the tongue? This is important. And some of us are in places this morning where we need to hear this for our own person. Uh, Some of us are in places this morning where we have felt the sting of other words. And I'm not talking about spaces where we need to hear things that are hard to hear. I'm talking about a a kind of spirit which leads me to one other thing I want to say. For the last six weeks, we have been um, reading a passage of Scripture, and there's this one weird verse in the Scripture. You remember it? Yeah. I want to show it to you. It's Romans 12, 20. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, word of honesty, how many of you, when you read that, you, it, it sounds negative, right? Oh, come on. Most of us in the room, because we've giggled the last six weeks, okay? Here's what's actually going on in that verse. It's a verse which if you're ever reading your Bible, and, and the verse is in a different kind of font, Usually what um, the English translators have done when it's in a different font is that it's, it's actually speaking about another verse. And the verse actually comes from the book of Proverbs. And it's really speaking about this value that back in biblical times in the ancient Near East, all the way from Solomon's life up to the time when the apostle Paul Uh, wrote these words he was really calling back to what is happening actually in the book of Proverbs and here's what's going on it's this idea that there used to be these little things that in the ancient Near East that people would put in a room they would put coals in this sort of thing it almost like looks like an ancient Weber grill follow me now and they would put coals in there and it would either heat a room or they would cook in it uh, cook on it or this sort of thing but occasionally occasionally the fire would go out, the coals would go out. And when the coals would go out, um, it, was, it was customary for you to maybe go to your neighbor's house with a little pan, and if they were kind and if they were gracious, they would give you some of the coals from their little device. And uh, oftentimes in the ancient Near East, they would put the coals in the pan and put it on their head and walk back home with it. And so actually what Paul is pointing up, uh, put, that, put that verse back up there, if you will. Actually what Paul is pointing at in this idea, it's not a negative thing, it's an encouraging thing. That when we would go uh, to our, our neighbor's house and there's tension with our neighbor and we're not in that good space and yet that neighbor still offers you some of their coals and you walk home with those coals, you're feeling that heat, 
You're going home knowing that you can either heat your room or cook your meal on that. The whole time you're walking, it's not a, it's not a rebuke. It's not a discipline. It's an encouragement. And Paul is saying, you and I must be and learn to become those kinds of people. So here's the challenge. Might it be said of you one day, you're a person who blesses or you're a person who curses? Choose wisely. Lord, um, we come before you. And we ask, oh God, that you would renew our desire to become people of blessing. That, Lord, uh, we might look for ways to bring uh, truth into a room, truth into conversation, but that, Lord, our constitutional makeup would be the kinds of people that offer hope and blessing. And God, that we would resist the gravitational pull of our culture and our world toward anger, toward misdeed, uh, toward getting even. But Lord Jesus, you might empower us by your spirit to be people who flip the script and offer life with our words and with our actions. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to just say this real clear. Uh, If you are here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is your moment. This is your moment. Um, A lot of what we're talking about today, I believe in my own heart, it's just simply not possible without the spirit of the living God living in your heart. We have relational snags with people we can't get past without the spirit that God puts within us when you become his child. And so if you've never said, and here's what it means, it's just really, you're just taking a moment to say, Lord, I can't do this any longer in my own strength. I see your life, I see your sinless life offered as a ransom for my sin. Would you come into my heart and lead me, forgive me, make me new, help me start. And God does something right there. And so if you've never given your life to Christ or you're doing it today, I pray that you would come down and just say that to our friends who are here. Let them pray for you. It doesn't have to be weird. Just let them take a moment to just bless you and pray for you. And that'll give you the power really to become a person of blessing in a world of curse. Might that be true? Might that be so? So many of us today, Jesus, we simply say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, go in his blessing and his grace. We'll see you next weekend.